It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. With an effective character, three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. Uh, James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, we'll be sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you on the topic of communication in this episode 27 of the Defective Characters Podcast. Let's go. Yay. Yeah. Now, now, Dennis, uh, you, you said you wanted to talk about communication today in particular. Why is that? Why is that, Dennis? I don't know. <laughs> that wasn't in the script huh? exactly <laughs> um but communication no in all seriousness so so right now as far as communicating why is that something you feel like you have to work on that you wanted to uh to kind of jump into this um i i think like we had a a choice between two topics that we're planning for this episode and the next episode and from the two topics, I thought communication was something that I could get more out of personally, just because, you know, I think communication is really important. And and like James is not good at it. He just likes to randomly point like I'm doing something wrong and I don't understand. So maybe if we talk about communication, James and my relationship will go stronger. James, your thoughts? Well, I don't know why you guys are whispering. I was, well, well, Dennis has this tendency to look down when he talks or look over at Mike, which is a wonderful thing. But when you're recording um, a podcast, you want to be looking at the other mic, the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I'm actually, I'm actually the, I'm I'm the only mic that matters. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to communication, <laughs> James, I'll start with you while Dennis tries to, you know, compose his thoughts. <laughs> it's I was f- pointing at the microphone because he was talking, looking at you. As far as uh, communication and its importance, uh, like how do you communicate with your friends in recovery? Is it different than you would uh, people that aren't in the rooms? Like how is that done, James? Um, for me, it's important to stay connected to all my friends in recovery and let them know how I'm feeling. Um, A lot of the times I I will tell them, you know, I'm just fine, which is for the most part true. Um, But I have, um, if something's, you know, going on in my life that's a little big, um, you can probably ask any of my friends. I let them know, you know, I, I find out things and a lot of times, I don't know how to react to them or respond to them, so I will ask other people and um, in the rooms, and they'll let me know that, <clears throat> you know, that's a very healthy response. Or, oh no, I would go back and rethink that. Um, my my wife's also in the room, so I can run things by her. Um, she's uh she's very loving and supporting w- in regards to that. And then there's my sponsor, 
who tells me to call him every day um, for the past two and a half years. I've maybe called him 40 times. No, 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 that's like not true. Maybe 27 times. Because I see him every morning at the meeting and I tell him like, I don't like to call. And he's like, well, whatever. That's what he says, whatever. You know, I, I think you should call me every day, but I usually just call him when I, I need to ask him a question. Dennis, I how you how you feeling? I, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. I'm feeling all right. It's, it's, I got a good laugh it's at the James's other, bad joke. It's it the other unexpected. mic here. Oh, it's the, the which one should I look at? Should I look here? Or should I look? Over I don't here? know. I would look into the microphone. Okay. Okay. We should put googly eyes on it. Uh, hey, do whatever you want to do. That's a great okay. okay. So, why is communication important, and how do you communicate in recovery? Um, I think communication, like for me personally. Like before I came into the the rooms, I, I was an isolator or whatever. So like whatever I was dealing with, I shoved it deep down inside and let it like grow into the monster that it was and whatever. So I think in recovery, it's important to like get it out. You know what I'm saying? Like if I sit and play with whatever issue I'm dealing with, it's I'm never going to come to a conclusion. I'm never going to I'm just going to keep replaying the same like silent film over and over again and so for me it's like when I'm kind of like what James said when I go through something I, I try to be as honest about it and as open as I can with like my sponsor and my friends and stuff like that to the point that I probably annoy them a little bit you know what I'm saying but it's important to me are y'all laughing at me I'm not understanding this communication no but um it's stop James y'all are distracting me my ADD is acting up today um but no it's it's important for me because like I need to be able to articulate it and I need to be able to like get advice or understanding from people that are not in the situation that I'm in objectively in a non-judgmental way and from people that I know actually care about me and want the best for me you know so outside of recovery like when I was drinking and using drugs and stuff, you know, like your friendships were more of acquaintances. Even, you know, you have your moments of oh, I love you, bud, and, and all of that stuff. But we never really dug deep down in like, you know, how are you feeling? Why are you angry about this? Why are you depressed about this? What is it? How does this situation make you feel? You never dug into that. So all that stuff kind of built up and, and we become who we become. So in recovery, like, digging into that getting it out and and being able to trust people enough to like be open and honest with helps you figure it out helps you deal with it and like i think i heard someone say the other day that like just getting it out just saying it out loud to another human being like has the weight of carrying it like instantly and then so instantly you're not it's not as heavy on you and whatever and then you can work through it you know does that make sense it uh, it does. Yep. I was just thinking about what you were saying. Nice job communicating. I try. Um, I think the only way that I can explain early on, all I wanted to do was isolate. The last little bit of my drinking went like I would go to work on the way home, grab a bunch of drinks, 
and knew that my wife at the time, since I was working early mornings when I was drinking, it was like the afternoon, and I would just sit and binge watch uh, old movies or anything else and just isolate. And I had a really tough time early in sobriety um, not wanting to isolate because it was like uh, almost like the not romanticizing the drink, but that like alone time. And my first sponsor told me how important it was to communicate and to get outside myself and to not only just go to meetings, but also make sure that I was a part of it and communicated as often as possible with the people in the rooms. And it really was important um, is it, it let me also learn that towards the last couple of years of my drinking, I would never make eye contact either. With people when I was talking to them, my eyes were always down because I couldn't stand who I was. So I wouldn't want to look at anybody in the eye because then they would look at me and I didn't like who I was. So communicating face-to-face is important. I've even shared uh, in the past as far as going to meetings. uh, When someone is sharing, I try to be laser-locked and make eye contact with them, even if when they're sharing, they're not. Um because I need to have that connection, you know. I think it's a way of uh, just being honest, and we always say it's, you know, it's an honest program, and I feel like I truly am being as honest as I can if when I'm speaking, I'm not looking at the ground or, you know, doing that. So I would say early on, yes, face-to-face was important or on the phone, people in recovery, Uh, I would talk to, but I would also be a part of text groups, and I don't see that as a bad thing. It wouldn't be a text group between my sponsor and myself, but my fellowship. It would be like if one of us was going through a tough time, you know, the the other four guys or whatever it is, and I mean, you two guys and I are in a text group. Are you guys in other uh, text groups or on Facebook, right? Yeah. And, And who started that? How did that come about? My wife. Yeah, actually. And you guys got to speak into the microphone. Sorry, my wife started that. And since then, we've added, I don't know, there's probably like 20 people in the group. And they're all in the rooms. And some live in London. Some live in Australia. Some live in Florida, too. And um, what we do is we we post inspirational messages um, every day. Um, And if we're taking a nap. That's what you. That's what you got. You should take a nap. You post on that. That's pretty good. Uh, question that I'll I'll shoot to you, Dennis. Like, how can you be a better listener, and what do you need to work better on communication? Ooh, that's a good one. So, how how you can improve on that stuff? Um, I, you know, I'll let my ego speak here a little bit. I'm a pretty good listener. Um, I listen to a lot of people, and my my technique for listening to people is basically you don't judge you just listen you know like usually the conversations that you're having with someone especially if someone's going through something has nothing to do with you or me you know what i'm saying it's about them and it's about what they need so you just let people talk and you listen to what they're saying not how you're going to reply not how you're going to fix a problem that they're going through or anything like that you just like suspend all of that and listen to them unjudgmental and you'll find that a lot of times like 
sometimes people just need to do that, just need to get it out. And other times they don't need an issue or whatever. Usually if they want advice, they'll ask you for it and stuff. But if you spend the whole time listening to it as like, okay, now they're coming to me, so I'm going to be their savior or their teacher or something like that, then you're going to constantly pick up every word that they say and try to find a solution to it when maybe that's not the real problem. Maybe they need to talk for three hours before they finally realize themselves what the issue is, and then they can fix it themselves. So I think it's just that, is having patience, being open-minded, non-judgmental, and listening. Thanks, Dennis. I just learned something. I'm, I'm a bad listener. I am definitely usually waiting for my turn to talk. Um, I try to make eye contact when I do listen. Um, but for the, the best example I could give is, you know, with my wife, she'll tell me something and I'll be like, yeah, kind of listening, but kind of tuning her out. And then later on, she'll be like, so, um, where's the eggs? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, you agree that you would buy eggs after work. And, um... That's just, a, I've been doing for two and a half years trying to work on my communication. And I, I like what Dennis said is like, for me, um, I'm always, being the husband, I am trying to solve problems. And I'm, it's, it's eye-opening to hear someone say, you know, that maybe they just want to talk and to be listened to. And I'm pretty sure she's told me that just not, don't try to solve my problem, just listen to me. And um, that's something I'm, I'm definitely have to work on. Um, and I'm going to try to do it by being ju- non-judgmental. That's that's great advice. And another thing I've been trying to do lately that I've been in my prayers is doing everything um, out of love, you know, which goes into being non-judgmental. And um, I don't know. It's a definitely a work in progress. But um, I find myself, you know, tapping my foot or getting antsy when I'm in a conversation. I don't know if I want to be out of the conversation or I just want to talk and I don't know, I just I need to learn more meditation practices and learn to listen better. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, James. I think the um thing that I've learned in uh in my job, there's often times I have to interview uh a lot of people. I used to be a manager at a uh, a company and every uh, I yeah I guess it was every like month there would be people that would be interview trying to get a, a job within the company and I was the person in charge of interviewing them and you get into a certain certain routine where you ask the same questions you're not really listening and then I realized that for a full year I was hiring terrible people and that's because I wasn't listening. And I wasn't actually following up on what they were saying. So I had five questions on paper and I would be like, okay, what's this? You run into this problem. What are you going to do? And I said, you know what? I, I must be asking the wrong questions or not listening to what they were saying. So when I got sober, because it, it, was, it was like the full last year that I was drinking was when I was hiring these awful people. And I realized that maybe the best thing was to actually change it up. So I did uh, start listening to what they were saying. And, okay, well, why did you do that? Well, how, how did that 
You know, are you going to do that in the future? You know, what do you like about this? And it's so important to be actually listening to to communicate uh, better. Also, people will share some pretty intimate things if you look at them in the eye. And instead of just saying, like we say every time we say, hey, how's it going? You know, and somebody goes, ah, oh, pretty good. Oh, yeah. Like immediately follow up with something else. Like, oh, what are you, what are you doing today? Oh, you, why are you doing that? Oh, how you feel about that? You know, and I, I think uh, that question is something that is the difference between people in recovery that are, uh, I haven't heard the saying in a while, but like on the beam, you know, like are actually uh, doing the thing and people that are new or on the outskirts of sobriety, you know, and aren't in the herd, you know, um, you know, not everybody in our home group, even though it's a, uh, you know, open discussion, not everybody, you know, dives into if you're having a tough time, they, they use vague vaguenesses of it. But if you're making eye contact or actually listening and tuning in, sometimes you can pick up on stuff, you know, and, and see that, hey, maybe what I'm dealing with you know, the the joke is, you know, there's, I don't know, how many shares usually in a morning discussion? Maybe 15, 10 to 15, would you say? Yeah, that sounds about right, depending on time, yeah. So, yeah, and how many, how many of those do you think actually have, like, an experience that they share that people can relate to that aren't, like, super vague out of those? Oh, I would say probably less than 25% of them. I think a lot of people you know, regurgitate their experience or what they've read in the book. There's probably very few that actually talk about what they're actually going through currently. You know, uh, y'all sponsor is one that does all the time. And I like his shares because he'll talk about what he's dealing with right now, but then also go into the solution that he's learned from the room. James is one that does that as well. Thanks, Dennis. I got that advice from your sponsor. Actually, yeah, Mike, the other Mike, the other other Mike. Not the yeah, the, not the, <laughs> the, there's there's three mics that we're dealing with. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, one mic for each of us. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as we're as we're looking at it, and I'll, I'll ask this question to both of you. I'll start with James. Uh, who in your life do you have the toughest time? And it doesn't just have to be in recovery. The toughest uh, person that you're having a tough time to communicate with uh, right now. And how you're actually working the steps of the program to, to help that relationship? That would be my 16 year old son. He's, um, you know, a teenager now, and I remember that age. And, um, you know, he's going through some things right now. Some things I understand, some things I don't. I find out a lot of um, situations from his mother, my ex. Um, and when I when I visit with him, you know, on a monthly basis, we uh, we always have a good time. Uh, he isolates. He's always on his phone or his computer. And um, I I ask him, you know, what's going on with him, and you know, his his answer to everything is just fine, good, one worded responses. You know, that's, that's a teenager thing. It's a teenager thing, but it's the you know I, I love him so much, and you know I know he loves me, and the love is there. And as he um, matures and becomes a man, um, all I'm going to do 
is continue loving him unconditionally and give him the best advice. Uh, let him know everything I've gone through, which he does for the most part. And let him know that I he can be an open book with me because I'm an open book with him. And just let him give him a safe place, a safe harbor where he can come and tell me anything and I can be there non-judgmental as a father, a loving father. And if I continue to do this, hopefully he will open up to me and he will uh, have a communication with me back and forth. Right now, um, it's it's very, um, I'm kind of, you know, the father talking to a teenage son. And it's 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 kind of hard for me because I just want to know everything about him. My other son, he's he tells me everything. He's like, oh, this is going on with Chris. This is going on. Um, with mom, you know, he tells me everything and he's just like happy, happy, like, dad, guess what? Guess what? Uh, maybe he'll close down and be more isolated too as he gets older. Um, maybe that's just a teenage thing, but, um, I will continue to love and be supportive and let him know that no matter what happens in his life, I will always be there non-judging and will help him whenever he needs it. Yeah, I just want to add to James is that like, in like dealing with your son and the things that that he goes through like all teenagers go through and stuff is is you know you mentioned that you there's some stuff that you don't understand mm -hmm. and in doing that you've done the right thing too you've gone to like people you trust in your fellowship and stuff like that and explained it you know what i'm saying like this is what this is and this is what i don't understand and to get other perspective of it you didn't try to like pretend like you know everything and like try to handle everything you know i think you've handled it very well like a good father would you know thanks Dennis. same question uh i don't remember what the question was because i wasn't listening i was on twitter the toughest <laughs> toughest to communicate with yeah the toughest to yeah. communicate yeah. with who oh you, who do you have a tough time with pet i or think i am working on Oh, I think it's it's got to be my father. I think my father is hands down the toughest one that I I've ever had to communicate with, you know. And from that other like authority figure type males, it stems from that. But like me and my father growing up, my father was a, a workaholic, doing his best to provide for his family. Whatever, I don't have a resentment against him anymore. Um, but so whenever I saw him, it was usually to be disciplined. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I saw him is someone to fear. Whenever he got home from work, whatever bad thing I did that day, I was going to be punished for. And so obviously as a young kid, uh, that resentment built up immensely, you know, is it played a big factor in my rebelliousness and just my, you know, anger against authority figures. And, um, to the point that like even for years when I didn't live with them, we didn't talk at all. Even at like Thanksgiving, Christmas and stuff, we would like maybe like say hi. And that was it. We never we didn't have a conversation or anything. It wasn't until like later on when I, you know, things got kind of bad for me. And I ended up moving in with my parents again that like, you know, I still had that resentment. But like over the course of, you know, time... I started seeing him as, as more of a human being, more as, as someone who had their own flaws and their own weaknesses. And in our communication isn't the best, but we can actually have a like a talk now that even two years ago we wouldn't even have had, you know. And I think it comes from me accepting him as a flawed human being, just like myself, 
and you know looking for signs of caring that he did like my dad's not one of those that say I love you or anything like that so I had to learn that his communication is different than my communication so when he tells me to drive safe or be safe or buckle your seatbelt and stuff like that that's him saying I love you or I care about you without him saying that so I think I had to learn that you know, I still won't be completely open with them about every little thing that's going on and stuff, but I have other people that I can do that with. But I can communicate them with him now as a human being. And it's still probably the hardest person that I had to communicate with. What, uh, what step, I guess, helped you with that relationship even get to this point thus far the um, most? Ooh, that's a hard question. I think maybe like four and five you know, is a big thing when you're working through that resentment on your resentment column. And then, you know, nine, I think, plays a part in it. You know, once you do that amends and like, you know, face to face with them and stuff and you say things that you've never said before, like, I'm sorry and stuff like that. I think that helped a lot. You know, it kind of brought us on, a, on an even playing field. Yeah, it's... uh. Like the, the people that we care a lot about, like James talking about his son, you talking about uh, your dad, and, and for me, the toughest relationship was, was probably my mother. And she, I mean, she was peppered all over my fourth step. And uh, it took, it took, I mean, I did, I don't know, I did probably uh, two and a half fourth steps were actually just on her. Uh, because I had a tough time that when my parents got divorced when I was 13, you know, not that I was a straight A student, but I would get A's and B's and stuff. And then as soon as that happened, um, you know, she was always bad mouthing my father instead of my father would never say a bad word about my mother. And I think everybody has their part in it. But I look at it and I say, and I said to my wife, when we had our first child 20 months ago, I said, listen, anytime you and I are fighting, let's just keep it here. You know, I'm never going to badmouth you. I'm going to make an effort not to because it's that that's what uh, I remember. And not that every child's the same, but I have a feeling that since my child is 50% of me, there's a good chance that she will remember that stuff. And I don't want her to resent either one of us that's bad-mouthing. So I had like a really tough time. And communicating now, I always say like the, the isms in the program, the negativity, the resentment, uh, the anger, the projection, those are things that were born in because of my mother. My father had some of those uh, character defects, if you will. But I feel like within the years he's let a lot of that go, you know, like about five, 10 years ago. Uh, my, well, probably when I came into the program, my father, something just snapped and he's like, you know what? Maybe I'm drinking too much. And he quit drinking. Now was my father an alcoholic? I don't, I feel like he had less isms than my mother did, but my mother still has them and she doesn't drink. So like when we say the isms, they're just characteristics that a lot of alcoholics have. Yeah. And a lot of humans have, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. But an alcoholic in recovery that's actually on the beam working through the steps, I feel like they are actually working to make sure that when they hit your brain, they don't get acted out 
through your body. You don't vocalize that stuff. You don't act on those actions. Um, and my mother right now, I have a really tough time because anything that's good in my life, um, she thinks that, oh, well, you like you have this. So if I say, hey, I got a, got a raise, she expects me to then give her money. Or to, and I, I, if I get a raise, understand that we're talking about a raise of like $500 for like a year. Like, like it's a raise and she, she thinks, oh, well then he should be doing more for me and everything else. And it's so tough because I don't think ever that anyone owes anyone else anything. Uh, You know, if the reason that you have children is so that way when you're old and gray that they take care of you. I don't know if that's the right motivation to actually have children. You know, like I didn't have a child, so that way I would have somebody to take care of me. I had a child because I wanted to uh, teach someone uh, a way to be uh, a human being that helps out other human beings. That's why I ended up doing that. That's why I get sponsees. I'm just you know, well, yeah, which means you need more sponsees oh, no. to, to keep uh, carrying that message. Uh, but I think communication is important. It's something I haven't written off. I still do communicate with my mother. Uh, I just have dropped expectations because I know that they're just future resentments. And uh, as I was speaking about it, it's, you know, resentments can creep up pretty quick. Uh, James, I want to come to you with this. Um, Maybe the easiest person to communicate with and why? So the opposite of that? The easiest person to communicate now um, is probably my wife. Um, basically, I'm, I've been an open book with her since very early in our relationship. Even when we were drinking, she knew all of my deepest, darkest secrets. And I revealed all those secrets when I was drunk. And surprisingly, she stayed with me. Um, Perhaps it was the charm. Or perhaps she was an alcoholic too. And, you know, misery loves company. We we got through the hard times and we became sober together. And uh, as a result, we've grown together and really changed so much about ourselves. Um, the core of us is still the same, but a lot of our de- uh, def- character defects have um, um, just kind of faded away. They resurface eventually, I mean, periodically, but nothing like they were. Um, I can pretty much tell my wife, who's also in recovery, how I'm feeling on a specific day. Um, uh, I tell her, you know, what I think about certain things if she she can come to me with anything she's thinking and I'll, I'll tell her honestly what I think about that um, you know I've gotten to the point where some things I, I don't tell her because she's made it clear that I don't like when you bring up this certain things or um, we we have a, a certain thing where um, when we're, we get into like uh, an altercation we don't do any personal attacks um she likes to say sometimes well she used to like she's she'll say i hate you so much right now so she she doesn't hate me but she in right now uh that's a horrible example um (laughs) (laughs) but um she 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 made a point to early in our relationship where she 
ask like I would like she would say something to me and I would be like um why are you so angry or what's wrong with you she makes me say she she says I'm blah. she says don't say what's what's wrong with you or why are you angry she she wants me to ask her are you angry right now obviously she was angry but she said don't assume anything you know just ask questions and by by listening to her and doing that it saves so much time and energy you know um so yeah definitely my wife i can i can tell her anything and i can be a completely transparent with her first and foremost absolutely um the easiest person how do you know it's your me? turn because i'm i took the mic and i won i do what i want go Let away go of mike go away <laughs> i like mike i'll give mike a hug okay the easiest person for me to communicate to i think it's you know my fellowship my herd the people that i talk to every day and it's like my sponsor and i have a core group of people that you guys are included in obviously and that um you know that i feel comfortable with you know like over the course of the last two years of developing friendships and bonds and stuff like that and like being vulnerable with people it tends to grow so like you know i don't have a problem like going to my sponsor and like a fit like oh i'm fucked I'm freaking depressed or I'm freaking in this situation and this is how I feel about it and stuff like that because I know over trial and error that that you know when it's all said and done that they're still going to be my friends they're not going to judge me and that they're going to care about me and so I trust them just from tried and true you know experience um so I can like I really don't have a fear I might have like nervousness when I'm first bringing it up and stuff but I don't have a fear of being open and communicating exactly how I honestly feel even if it's not pretty you know if I'm dealing with emotions or something that I don't like like jealousy or envy or like you know hopelessness or whatever i I don't have to hide that. I don't have to let my pride or my ego get away with like these group of people. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I have that because if I was to hold that stuff inside, it just grows. And, and, and being able to have people that I can trust that way is, is a blessing. It's a miracle. You know, it, it's part of how well I am doing right now compared to how well I would be doing in the same exact life situation three years ago, you know? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, James said his, his wife and Dennis said his sponsor, people in the his fellowship that he holds near and dear to him. I would say those and also this podcast, you know, um, you know, everyone that's listening right now. The, the cool thing is we can actually see based on what country you're in. When on your phone, the locator will tell us, and we're in over 14 countries right now having, having people listen to us. And this, this is uh, a huge, huge thank you from the three of us. 
I can honestly say, even if you listen to a minute, if you're listening to this right now, we appreciate you. All the stuff that, that we share, you know, um, the stuff that we said is maybe a testament to how the steps in the program worked in our life and the easiest to communicate. Of course, like right now in this room, in this studio, uh, is James and Dennis and I. So, yes, we're communicating with them, but also, you know, seeing uh, from people reaching out on, on Twitter that uh, have said, you know, going through a tough time and everything else, like that means, that means a lot, knowing that we have the support of you guys. So yeah. uh, I wanted to uh, send I'll, a thank you. Yeah, and I'll add that, like, the feedback that we've gotten from people. We have, like, a couple of fans that have said that they've listened to every episode of ours. And like here, it's just from my perspective, it's just three guys sitting around like if we were just having coffee at the coffee shop or something, talking about these subjects and what's going on with our lives and stuff like that. So it's a very small, intimate like relationship for me. But then to hear someone come up to me and say like, oh, when you said this or whatever, it really meant something to me or like touched me or helped me through something that's. That's mind blowing to me. And to find out that we're in like 14 countries, I'm just going to, in my own head, pretend it's just us three talking. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. So to wrap up, if you guys could take 60 seconds apiece uh, to somebody that's new in the program or maybe hasn't actually stepped in uh, to the rooms as far as uh, communicating, uh, like how do, you, how do you get started to change your habits before program to, to get you closer to where you guys are today? Um, I'll go. For uh, If you're just coming into the rooms, uh, you're in a hopeless state of just remorse and feeling shame and doubt, um, you need to, it would be suggested to, um, you know, get up, get to a meeting, raise your hand, let people know you're, you're new to the program, uh, let people know that you're hurting, um, reach out and, uh, and just let people know where you're at. Um, don't leave before the meeting ends. Um, try to find a sponsor and, and take the suggestions that your sponsor gives you. It might be to call them every day. It might be to call her, you know, twice a week. Whatever it is, just, you know, tuck your tail between your legs. Uh, surrender and, and do the best you can because there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, it's in the rooms. And there's so many people out there that just want to help. And they don't want anything from you. They just want to help because it was given to them freely. And that's what makes our program work. You know, we give back because it was given to us. So good luck. God bless. Yeah, I would say, like, early on, like, when you first come into the meeting, listen, like, do what James said and, you know, introduce yourself. Let people know that you're present and that you're new or whatever. But also listen to people and find someone that you can relate to, someone that you can trust, someone that has something that you want, namely like sobriety, serenity, recovery and whatnot. And then if you can find as early on as you can, like find just one person, one person that you feel like you can trust and be honest with and talk to them 
you know, they're going to listen, they're going to be open, they're going to be non-judgmental, and all they want is the best of you. But I think it's very important, especially early on, is to to get past that fear of being vulnerable and honest with someone and just find one single person that you can do that with and then spill it, you know, let it out, get it all out there because that's, that's like your starting point. You know what I'm saying? Once you become open enough to be honest with yourself and with another human being, then you can start working through all that garbage that we carry around for so long, you know? So I think that's probably the most important, get over the fear of letting someone know how you truly feel love that all right thank you guys so that's uh puts a wrap on wait what's your advice communication just do exactly what james said and dennis said and then repeat until you actually feel like there's some change happening um and just being honest with uh Really, if, when, when you get a sponsor, just keep communicating with them. Um, very important. So that's what I would say. Uh, and that is uh, communication here. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you on episode 28. With an effective character is entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, you are not alone, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.